0: Made it to 101 101 oh one. you know what that's one more than 100 <laughs> um. yeah <laughs> it is fact
1: <laughs> I can do the math good thing
0: you're the scientist yeah I can do the math it's a good thing you're the engineer well you remember our first episode zero was why are we here and mm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering why are we still here <laughs> I,
1: yeah as I wake up and ask myself that question all the time well, I'm uh, thankful
0: that I wake up for sure but um, yeah I hope, I hope our content is still relevant we're trying to make sure that we have topics that aren't just us talking you know we're we're trying to talk about the stuff that may be interesting to some of you guys so
1: I don't know man we I haven't really run like things things. Just, I really like just talking
0: we haven't ran out of <laughs> things to talk about at this point so no it's been pretty and fun. I, I keep making lists so the last I don't know eight or ten episodes were um, recorded months ago and people are like oh I love the brass episode or, I love the um, X Y Z whatever the episode is, but yeah, I don't even remember what we talked about in that one. I don't either. Yeah, <laughs> it was sorry. a while ago.
1: Uh, it's not it's not like you know recorded live on set by like you know like Saturday Night Live or anything like that. Um, although I'm guessing those guys like shows film a lot of episodes all at the same time if they were filming them. Like Saturday Night Live does not. No, they they only do one. But like sitcom type stuff, they'll just record a boatload of episodes. So you could go tape two or three or four episodes on a given day. And then they'll air them over a series of weeks, because otherwise you're going to sit in the studio. You have to be there like a regular nine to five job. And I can't imagine those like actor people do that.
0: Yeah, they do that. That's how they
1: do it. They just go in one day and film a bunch of episodes.
0: No, they they work on the episode until it's pretty much complete, and then they work on the next episode hmm. while while that one's being edited and produced. So the time that they worked on it might be a month or three weeks or whatever the time frame is for that. I mean south park used to be i don't know if you remember that show oh yeah that, like that show stayed really topical and very relevant with current events because they their time from when they came up with the idea to air the episode was inside of a week hmm. yeah there was there was some documentary on it but but yeah that's how they were able to really <laughs> make those jokes with punchlines that are so current event type stuff that uh people were still laughing about them the problem with that particular concept is uh it doesn't stand the test of time very well because no. <laughs> different generations see it and they're like, what are they talking about? I, I don't know. So I think we've tried to avoid that um, for the most part, unless yeah. we're talking about a specific match that 10 years from now, people won't even like, well, why are they, you know, why are they talking about this match? Well, I wasn't there. What's, what's the relevance? So we try to bring back what like lessons learned or points about the match or something that we experienced.
1: Something that's timeless. Yeah. Like a diamond
0: but speaking of timeless and this concept of people listening to this, maybe finding this podcast uh, a couple years from now, it's 2030. we'll just say, 20, in the year, <laughs> in the year 2032. Um yeah. I thought about this the other day. It's like, man, like what if Francis and Chad um, die in a fiery car crash? This is our memoir. And, and this is like something that your wife or my wife or my daughter would listen to someday. My daughter's going to be 12 next month. And, I guarantee she's never listened to a single episode of this but it's kind of cool that like if she wanted to in her 30s like go back and listen to this it's kind of interesting it's like a time capsule she she can hear yeah she can hear two best friends just doing what they love to do going to to matches and and talking about their hobby and turning it into a profession and like all the the things that we've gone through on this podcast you know it's a part of us it's a part of our story and and our journey it's not just us trying to share um, you know to be a better training tips. tips yeah it's not just that so that was that kind of hit me the other day i was like man my, i wonder if my daughter listens to this someday
1: <laughs> i so i had a similar experience a couple months back um which it was just kind of a fleeting moment but it was because my my sister um i have an older half sister went on and actually recorded uh are you familiar what's the npr um what is it a time capsule the there's a NPR library where yep. you upload I know what you're talking voices, about. and mm-hmm. it's like conversations. Well, yeah, and then it's logged in the library yeah. of Congress forever. Yep. yep. So uh, she actually did one with my dad, just talking. StoryCorps. Story. Story Core. Yeah. Story core, yeah. Uh, she did one with my dad, and then uploaded that. And no way. When? Uh, years ago. Like. Yeah, but s- like, did you find seven? just find out about it? No, no, no. I've known about it. Okay,
0: but I it, always wanted to do that. But it's it with
1: my grandma. So that existed, and I was thinking, I'm like, you know. I've never done that, but the legacy that we leave, you know, the footprint, if you will, it's those that we care about and those that remember us. But now there's also other things that people remember. by. I mean, this, this thing, this podcast, I mean, whether or not it ever exists when the servers from Spotify or whoever hosts it say, yep, we don't need it anymore. uh, It's done. It won't be anywhere unless maybe it does. And maybe it sticks around because somebody decides it's worthwhile and all this stuff is actually useful. Um, information to keep around but it's it is eye-opening and when you think about all the things you spend your time and focus and effort and energy on you you have limited resources in that regard obviously our time here is spent in the road and what can we do to talk about things if this thing actually becomes remembered by people and it's like this is a great resource for you to just listen chill and learn about life and precision rifle shooting and what it's like to compete all the fun challenges, trials, and a little laugh. Man, that honestly is worth it. I think it's worth it because we don't really get a whole lot out of this other than that. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. It's not a derogatory statement. In fact, it is the opposite. I got a message uh, via Instagram from, uh, I think you had as well, but one of the guys, uh, Todd, you know who you are. uh, He's like, man, I just got to show you. These are some results and how they've changed my approach and how my approach is then translated to success and then I shot my first like 22 match and I was second place or something and just walking through all the things that he's accomplished just by applying a different viewpoint man that was one of the things that's one of the coolest types of messages that we can get that if you listen to this and you think you, you use something that we have talked about to your advantage and it brings you a new level of success Uh, there's no other reason we would do this yeah i had a message
0: i screenshotted you and sent it to you the other day it was uh (coughs) byron he says sir i just listened to your last podcast not our last podcast but the most recent one and it was the one on uh this this topic was uh on game changers he's like just wanted to let you know my biggest game changer has been miles to matches and how it has kept me focused on what actually matters as a new competitor. Thanks for all your efforts. And then, uh, yeah, I sent him back a little Dwight Schrute crying emoji when he got promoted to the uh, <laughs> assistant to the regional manager position. So, yeah, it's uh, it's way cool. Um, it's humbling. It's, it's inspiring. And uh, yeah, the, the whole reason we started this is because we were having these conversations every single day, literally. And <laughs> we still we still have private ones we we had a bunch before we push record here that we necessarily uh don't necessarily want to share or can share um but that's kind of the 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 inception of this whole thing is we're having these conversations that i'm sure people could learn from why not why not share them so yep we're here and uh we're going to be here for a while because we're not done um i've got a list of items here to talk about and i'm sure we'll think about more so Uh, We're on our way to the first match of the year for Francis. It um, happens to be the MDT frostbite, and I had written down a topic here um, now that we're kind of done with our intro, sappy uh, intro there. Um, I had written down MD pitfalls, and I like that uh, concept because I think it's educational for shooters and for MDs uh, to think about. Uh, things a little bit differently when they attend matches. I, I've said this on the podcast before many times. I cannot believe the amount of effort that goes into putting on one of these matches for 100 to 200 people. And, and when you're in the AG Cup and you go to the AG Cup itself, it's for like 30 or 40 guys. Yeah, It, it, it is so insane the level of... Same um, amount of work, if yeah, not more. Oh, more, yeah. yeah. And it's so insane how, how few get to experience how awesome this is. And then, then there's a very, very, very few that get frustrated and let them let, let the you know, frustration boil over and, and, and end up cementing almost a bad experience. Those very, very few should step back and say, man, what is this? Like, what are we doing? This is amazing. Um, it's challenging. It's rewarding. It's um, it's a fellowship of, of guys and gals that are Um, drawn to something that is difficult and fun and um, have a common purpose and it's uh, it's so cool so uh, I figured you know throwing out the appreciation to the match directors is is due for sure and I will always do that I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Adam and Fred giving them both a big hug and uh, saying thank you but I also want to talk about some of the things that we've seen as opportunities for improvement and I'm not saying necessarily at their match just things that I've yeah things that I've noticed that could make either make the matches more uniform across the
1: country and or, um, it will help newer shooters um, and help and also help experienced shooters. I think there's help is a different word. I mean, help make more positive. Um, but I, I think it's a good topic because I agree with you. I think we've learned a lot as competitors. We've seen a lot of shooters and we get to talk with a lot of shooters as a result of this podcast. And everybody's experiences are a little different.
0: So the first thing I had written down here is, uh, is part times there. When we first started shooting, like 90 seconds was pretty common across most of the country until you went out far West. But there seems to be some shifting in that. Yes. Is that good or bad? I'm, I'm not sure.
1: I, I don't know. I think that there's, I think there's a range and let's talk, I guess we'll add one more layer to this. That's again, part times. It's not actually the same Within the U.S. as it is in other countries, and we okay. talked about that in Australia, yeah. in uh, Europe, and I've seen I saw a couple matches and replays of some stages, and I saw some 30, 45 second type stages. Holy cow! Um, in Europe, that I'm like, what is going on? And then the very <laughs> next one would be like three minutes, four minutes. That's difficult to manage when you have that well, different hard times. That's exactly what I was saying. And we, you know, when you look at those kind of disparities, um, you know, as a shooter we go there's a lot of variation in part time you don't think it directly impacts a shooter in in one sense when it actually will impact the md and the shooter arguably the md even more because of the experience and the frustration behind bottlenecks um having that like 35 45 second part time immediately followed by a three or four minute part time you will bottleneck
0: But I think using different part-times based on the range is not a terrible idea. I wouldn't do it that extreme. Exactly. You know, Shannon puts that 60-second stage at the end so so that if you're traveling from stage 20 to stage 1, it makes the flow go a little better. I could see that happening and being utilized more often around a stage that you know is going to be run fast. Like back in the day, I'm going to say back in the day because the, the old skill stage was fast, right? It was a 30 to 45 second stage. And then, um, everybody's positional. Yeah. Everybody's waiting at the next stage. So if you use that stage and put it at a point in your match where they need to walk or the next stage is fast too, or something like that, you can, you can minimize the piling up of, of, people at the different stages. I think it's kind of smart to think about what your what stages are being put next to each other as far as flow goes. Some matches seem to flow way better than others.
1: I, I agree with that. And I think a lot of that has to do with the property. It has to do with the thought behind the MD and uh, how you structure. So, I mean, if we talk about match structure, having ran 22s, I ran into this very quickly in my 22 match directing career, which was we had multiple years. You had yeah, yeah, four, five years. Yeah, four, five years. I don't remember how many now. It was quite. How a many few. matches per year? Usually between was it, six to eight. Okay, so between, between six, twenty. Uh, between it's around twenty-five matches, yeah. give or take. I'm sure I've run more than that, or somewhere in that vicinity. So you have um, some experience, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean, I've I've put together quite a few matches, relatively speaking. Same crowd, same place, so I know what it's like to set up a you know six matches a year at the same facility and trying to keep it diverse while also keeping it engaging and not disrupting the overall quality of the match. That is that is challenging. Um,
0: and also contributing to the growth of the shooters career, in your area. Creating growth is, opportunities. Which is yes. way cool. You, you, you were always trying to think of how can I increase the level of these shooters by challenging them but not demoralizing them.
1: Yeah, that was my core. It, the core for that series starting was... Literally, how do I get more people to use our longer range and have some people who want to come out and learn how to shoot? I thought, well, I can do it with 22s. This is going to be pretty easy. Let's just build a match around this. And COVID had just started, so it was like, great, we'll just go ahead and make this a thing. This actually hadn't just. We had done a match in the fall um, that was successful, and then in the spring it got even way more successful because COVID hit. Uh, so, because nobody could be outdoors and they had just relaxed the restrictions. Uh, kind of not irrelevant on that side. However, it did make me rethink when I thought like a 20 to 40 person match. The third match I ran had s- was it 86 shooters. That's <laughs> like, a big 22 match. I expected 40. And it okay. suddenly like ran to the copy machine, had to start copying all of these matchbooks and get more. And like you just the scale of what happens when you add more shooters is what is drawing out the point I'm about to make. So you mentioned layout and flow being really important. I'm also going to talk about matchbooks, so don't forget about that. I'm going to come okay. back to that. The flow of your range, I originally had 10 stages set up across the entire property. You'd walk you know, from one side to the other, one through 10. And in the course of that match, I found out two things. One was at the high attendance match of 86 shooters. Our range was not conducive to 86 shooters in that format. I had design, I wasn't expecting it. So I designed the stages that were a little too long. Everybody was using every second of par times. Uh, our arrows slash squad moms were not moving the squads along effectively. I got to experience the slowest, longest match that I have ever shot. (laughs) It went from 8am until I want to say last shot fired at 510. And that was excruciating for me to have to watch and go, what did I screw up? That's all I felt. What did I screw up? I told them they'd be out of here by three. Um, well, I figured it out, and now everybody's on par, and they, they fixed it by just being smarter about RO and planning. But the, the other thing that came out of that match, uh, in the subsequent match, the squads who started in the morning on the long-range stage had a distinct and noticeable, despite the skill level of the shooters that were in the adjacent squads, uh, basically one of the Two or three of the top five shooters were in the squad just after the long range stage. So They were going to shoot that last. And the guys who shot the long range stage on one of the matches were good shooters, but historically not as good as the guys in front of them. Well, the scores between the AM, the first people who shot at the very first dead calm morning were double what the guys shot in the afternoon when the wind had quite literally tripled and gone from three, four mile an hour to 10, 12 mile per hour at a 300 yard shot with a 22 that's a massive differential and you're gonna miss more targets than you hit when you have gusting winds in that range with the size targets we were shooting at so that forced a change in my approach I'm like how do i distribute these stages differently and i kind of went outside the box like well rather than running all 10 stages at once what if we just cycle people with stages like say stage one and say stage five are adjacent to one another stage two and i'm thinking of this if you're running a two-day match right let's say you have 20 stages if you have 20 stages rather than making say one section really long and you can identify uh, an area where it's all long range you simply have everybody rotate every other stage so stage one then stage 11 then stage 2 and stage 12 and so on and so forth every single shooter if they shoot 10 in a day will have rotated the entire property in a single day as opposed to maybe like I know in Texas there are two kind of half ranges right there's Mm -hmm. the wind area on the ridge and then the different area from the tree line section off on the right those act like very different ranges Um, when you're shooting at uh, Hornady up on the ridge at the two-day match
0: that's a good point you have
1: to loop around that entire so you're telling me i'd have to
0: walk around that peninsula twice or that potentially yes okay
1: (laughs) but i mean i see what you're saying that's
0: thinking outside the box because we all know and we've all heard people complain about well it's just where i started and yes lots of times you know if you got screwed over here somebody else is getting screwed over there it's it's it usually washes itself out but there are absolutely matches i've been to where the winner has been decided by where they started, and uh, nobody wants that. No. It's just really hard to make that to change that and what you're describing makes a lot of sense to me it's more transportation it's, it's potentially you know like someplace like war or someplace like texas there's actually a large gap between these two yes areas of shooting so it could become complex but those are the types of things that you have to navigate in a range that's really cool so it's worth it to try to figure
1: that out yeah and like the simple and i i you know i thought of that one as well and i've had i was talking to somebody about this exact concept and they brought up that like hey well there's a a shuttle that brings people from stage 20 to stage 1 so I'm like yeah The all that means is you need two shuttles to rotate the people from stage 10 and stage 20 and they're going to rotate at approximately the same rate they're just you're, yeah. s- you're walking say one stage further between stages 20 feet 30 feet maybe 50 yards it's just a little bit further between stages but then you need a second buggy to make the trip back from 20 and 10 to 1 as opposed
0: to yeah, the other that- way around that Nothing would solve major. that would solve the different range condition type scenarios, but I think they'll still have to focus on the stages in the order that they're shot and whether exactly. they're long or whether they're complex. And I think match directors are super hip to that these days, and they're they're focused on that. Um, I know Adam and Fred were heading down to shoot the frostbite match. I think I already said that, but they try to put a, a longer range stage every three stages or something. So you're going to encounter three. In a day, regardless yes. of where you start, whatever, you're going to have to deal with it. You're going to have one in the morning t- time frame. You're going to have one in the afternoon on every day, no matter where you start. So it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's the best you can do at some point. That's all you can
1: do. Well, and there's a couple of ways that i found to mitigate that process to help your to help your shooters and also give them a solid, uh, a solid match experience That takes that into account. What I mean by that is you shoot stages where you're not just like long range, long range, long range, short, 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 medium, 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 medium. And you got all the long range stuff out of the morning. So what I ended up doing for that, for this exact reason was not, I had everybody, I only had one place I could shoot wrong long range on this 300 yards. And so I've set up a visual of the map and just started drawing lines. And I said, okay, start with a long line. Now let's go to a short line and then a medium line then a short, then a long, then a medium, then a medium, then a short, then a lead. Like, and I kind of, I wanted to see if I could take the average line and never have you go more than one stage without shooting a different distance. So and then I thought, well, it doesn't really work because the first two, three stages have to be underneath 100 yards. Like actually have to be like 50 in one case, 50 to 75 yard average. The next one is like 100 to 300. That's all you get. And then the next one was like one to 50 yards out to about 200 yards in other words you you could not do it any different than that until i said wait a second what if i just have people rotate the property twice in the same day so instead of starting at one you go one through five but one through five are spaced out further along the property so that i have you go through the entire property once in the a.m and once again in the afternoon in different props and different target locations The course of fire is still set out the same way. It's just we rotate and we flip halves, if you will, between the morning and afternoon. So everybody shoots similar stages. So what you shot on the long range in the morning is going to be similar to what you shoot in the long range in the afternoon. But then I would advance everybody by a stage so that you don't start the afternoon on that long range. You start the afternoon one stage forward. So you have a differential, and you don't know which way you're going to go. It just means that you are shaking up the program to make people more I like it. I like, you get, you I like the, the diversity. It, it just think of so the core of this is if you're an MD or if you're thinking about trying to design practice environments for yourself, think how you can look at a topographic map the distance, the target size the number of positions and vary the challenges accordingly using say visuals and if you go well here's a bottleneck where all of the long ranges have to happen in this area well great, well then just work on alternating it so that you have two back-to-back stages but they're stages one and eleven instead of one and two yeah so anywho that was the that was what i found on match flow match stages i used a lot of those things to think outside the box and it worked really well in our case all
0: right next topic i have written down here is range to target have you ever shot a match that had all the ranges exact uh no very, very few. I, I think I've shot Nothing one match at K and M one time that did not have a, a wrong range. But, but to the point, um, this seems simple, and I I don't want to criticize without providing some ideas. So yes, here here is what I think. Um, I want to pose another question along with this: What's up with matchbooks? Like, why are they so vastly different at all the different places? Like, could we make a digital matchbook? Because I think that the issue with ranges is people are scrambling trying to put ranges on matchbooks so that they can print them. By the way, I had a match director tell me how much he paid for matchbooks, and I was disgusted. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a huge expense. It's a huge time suck. And then once you make a mistake, you have, you have to try to correct it at the safety brief. And if people don't hear it, then they're mad. It and is, the ROs have to be briefed so they can give it again. Yep. It's a source for stress on the MD and the shooter and the RO, and we need to work to eliminate it. So, um, a st- at the very least, for paper, I'm thinking like a standardized match brief or a match book that format is the same for every match in the PRS if it's a PRS match. I don't want to tell match directors how to make a match book, but why wouldn't we all want to have the same match book? I, I think it would at least be
1: cool to say, hey, here's here's two different templates and yeah. say, this is the one that's sort of the economical small for small factor format, or it's the cheapest to print. Here's a one that it's gives you more space or maybe has something in it that you think is valuable, but it is maybe it looks nicer or more conducive to the style that you write matches, but that sample. I know Ken has a new hire. Nice. That's yeah. uh,
0: uh really working on behind the scenes type organizational stuff and mm-hmm. i think maybe that could be something that could be provided with a template so that that's like the most basic thing i was thinking um but the secondary like level up type thing is we all have our phones like why why are the matchbooks not digital because i'm thinking if you make if you make a change to a match you're making it like usually last minute right and yep. and it's because of environmental conditions i mean prentice had to literally take targets out of the match because they were underwater stuff like this um, if your matchbook was digital it's a couple clicks of a button and now the the app is updated and, and we have it um, it'll all it could also you know <laughs> what
1: I'm just thinking of a scenario. I'm going to shoot the stage and then I'm just going to have everybody change the description to make it way harder. Yeah, right before you <laughs> right shoot b- it? Right after I shoot it. I want to oh. shoot it the easy way. Oh, boy. No, there no, would no, no. be privileges
0: and passwords. But I'm just yeah. thinking like you get to the stage, you scan the QR code, or it's already part of your your matchbook. I think there's you know?
1: a ton of merit in this. And I mean, most of what we do in terms of technology and day-to-day experience is lending itself towards this idea as we go you know, in almost all areas of life. Now, digital has its weaknesses, for sure. Uh, Operations from within a screen and platform constraints, like you're working from one Android phone to another, to another, to another. Um, How you could deliver that type of content if you don't have access to the internet well at the range, change may not be updated, you need Wi-Fi. There are some logistic constraints, but honestly, a lot of those are so small. In the grand scheme, it's a net benefit. If we could find a way to deliver digital content, I think it would be a net benefit. That said, I still like the idea of a physical copy of some sort there maybe you have a copy and you get a very condensed version of a matchbook but the description is here so you can just have your paper copy and make changes to it but because the validated copy is on your phone it's like a digital that you can't lose you your phone doesn't blow away all that fun stuff yeah
0: yeah i um again i'm not saying what has to happen i'm just spitballing like um what if type scenarios because the thing that keeps I keep going back to is the reduction in frustration between the MD, the shooter, and the RO. There's this, this stress factor that is created when there's an error in the matchbook, and uh, it's just a source for potential issues, um, whether it's reshoots or scoring or whatever. It's um, it's something that is, should be avoided. And uh, yeah, so I think the range to target is one of those things that. Sometimes can get get missed because of the fact that it's hard to change it, um, and and maybe there's no standard for ranging targets. Like I don't, That's I don't know. Maybe we should have a standard placard size. This is how you range. Tar- I mean, this sounds so stupid. This is like telling somebody how to zero your rifle. But but. This is a
1: really relevant topic. I mean, I get to work in this concept all day. I, I, you know, day job, I answer people's questions on why stuff isn't lining up. I was about to use a very different word there because it comes across. I usually get questions that are worded very differently than that. Uh, Why did my bleep not do the bleep after doing the bleep thing that you're supposed to do bleep? Like, uh, that's like when someone's really having a frustrated time, that's what it comes across as. And a lot of that frustration, nine out of 10 times, will boil down to there's an input wrong you may not know there's an input wrong and it may not be your input it just there is something wrong uh yeah, i mean minutes. i had a
0: tr- top level pro shooter text me the other day see he's like i consider you uh, a kestrel guru why when i change my zero um offset does my zero only move a, a fraction of a tenth and i'm changing it point one like <clears throat> why do you know who this is
1: no, but oh. I can, I'm already thinking And so, why. like,
0: first of all, I'm like, well, it's not zero offset. It's zero height. height. You need to change that. And he's like, oh, you're, I misspoke. You're right. I, I meant ZH. I'm like, okay, there's check number one. We're good. And then I'm like, well, I mean, the only thing I, I can think of is you got the wrong units in there. Like, yep. do you have it in mills and in inches instead of mils? He's like, oh, crap.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this it's is in how, inches. like,
0: the simplest things can get overlooked. And sometimes you just got to phone a friend to, like, feel yep. stupid. <laughs>
1: It's okay to feel stupid as long yeah. as you ask for help and then you don't look stupid. Um, or no. you argue with the you, help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so here's like some of the things that I would say are super common. So personally, I do find ranges to be off. I guess this is a two-part. A, having been a match director, I have put wrong ranges into matchbooks. If you are not a match director and you say, how in the world could a match? You only have one job. You have to get right ranges in there. That's it. That's not the only job. That is not the only job. And it (laughs) is so incredibly... And I'm not making an excuse for this. I'm saying the level of challenge to get every target to the number needed to not have your data be round up, round down, different, is very difficult at times. And I'll say, especially in 22 matches. So, at extended ranges, 200 to 300 yards, if you're off by half a yard to a yard, even just one yard at, say, 230 to 240, it is a different number. You are now a tenth off. Mm -hmm. Now... The systems are already becoming less precise, and if you're shooting small targets, that tenth matters more and more as you go further out. You go to 250 to 300, it's dropping at nearly the rate of a tenth per yard, and it's not quite that, but it's very close, which means you are not going to get the same solution as the guy who thinks it's this yardage and it's a different one. That's just one yard. Um, You can easily miss these small targets in brush at 300 yards. You're going to pick up berms and brush, come up with yardages that are two or three or four yards different. Uh, so, best practices as a shooter, one, have your own rangefinder. Yeah. But here's the caveat. that The caveat is you are not the ultimate litmus as to whether or not that is the right or the wrong range. Because... Frankly speaking, I have shot with enough LRFs to know that your ability to range an exact range and get the same number as the guy to your left, right, and anybody on the line is virtually zero. You will probably not get the same range to the target, meaning plus or minus a yard is likely, but you'll have people who are getting 302, 303, you'll get 300 even, somebody else will get 296. If you check those solutions, they're all way different for, say, a 22. Mm-hmm. Now push the target out even further where you can't resolve the target well with your 6-power, 7-power range finder it's not easy to say that you're pinging the actual target because of beam divergence and you could be lazing say trees around it or hills or berms and you're like ro or md this thing is wrong this is the wrong range i shot high when come to find out your dope was running high you're 30 feet per second fast your zero is not correct and you did laze the trees behind it the target was actually correct so as a shooter here's what i look for on target after people have started to shoot and we've we've mentioned this before look for the bulk of the impacts on the target if the paint on the bottom, is still exists, and there's none at the top, or the paint on the top, doesn't exist, and all the you know there's paint on the bottom, so on is whatever back and forth or left or right, left and right I don't care about, but the up and down you do. If the bottom of the target's beat up, expect that the target's probably a little further away than the matchbook states. So if you get a rangefinder distance that met, that corroborates that, hedge your bet, go up a tenth vice versa do the opposite if it's hitting high and everybody's beating up the top take some dope off there's something that's likely causing it the range could still be right and you could have people hitting high through wind and other scenarios that cause ups and downs in your elevation through say updrafts and downdrafts that may cause you to drift a 10th now flipping the coin mds in my opinion as an md one of the problems i had was i started lazing from the shooting position to the target with a target in place. I found very quickly that was not just ineffective, that was the easiest way to create errors in my matchbook because I was not certain I was pinging the target. So what I ended up doing ultimately was having a fire line where I know my firing line has some areas that I can laze exact berms. You put up these little reflective markers that you get off like mailboxes. You, seen those you steal them off mailboxes? No, no, no. The little reflective <laughs> things that you you stick on mailboxes. I know what you're talking about the a yeah. Put a reflector on something on all the surfaces adjacent to your firing line. Go to the target location you're expecting and lays it back to one of those reflective areas. I usually have three. I know what they are or where they're located across the, say, the firing line, and you could simply put them in the ground. And I would ping those against the skyline so that I know if I get a return in this area the only thing in that area is not, that's not a hundred yards further is that reflector and then I would have multiple and I would ping that then I would ping the say the face of one of our props and I would just confirm the distances I expected to all those props I now I like- would walk along the entire line and just set range one spray paint on the ground target one spray paint on the ground target two range it and I'd write those down and all of those ranges would get verified by someone else after I was done. I would have them go back and do the exact same thing behind me without knowing what I had written down. Then I compare the two. I would give them my rangefinder and their rangefinder because this is the other critical component as an MD. You cannot trust your own rangefinder all the time. I, I'm sorry, I know I don't even trust mine all the time, and I use it every single day we have to use multiple rangefinders If we're at all in doubt about the veracity of those systems, use two or three, get an average for small targets, especially using multiple average of two or three different units, not the same manufacturer, if at all possible, so that you have a wide array of, hey, this one said 301, this one said 300, that one said 299, this one said 701, this one said 605. We might have a problem. <laughs>
0: I feel like we're belaboring this point, but it is pretty important. And, and my point yeah. the, with even bringing it up is, it needs to be a priority. And if you know, it it should just be, it shouldn't be a problem anymore. Like let's just make the wrong ranges go away. Yeah, T- I tied it in with matchbooks because I think there's opportunity for improvement in that. Um, I I think that um, some MDs are better at communicating via email than others. Some of them, you know, have really constant and really good. Content in their emails, and some of them have so much that I think people just gloss over them. Um, I think the common theme of having enough water at matches is pretty good, but I've still been at matches that could use improvement in where it's located and how it's refilled. Uh, toilet paper, like why do we TV? <laughs> why yeah. do we have TP running out in uh, in porta porta johns? Uh, little things like that, and they're things that are very very
1: important. Um, access to those. I remember a match that we had, could not access porta johns between like it was like eight stages apart they were yep. half a mile between the two so uh, the lesson learned and they ended up adding like five more so you couldn't go 10 feet without hitting a port on the next year so,
0: here's um, something there's only a few mds that i've seen that do post-match surveys whether you like them or not i think it's a pretty pretty solid plan it means that you're open mm-hmm. to suge- suggestions um i've had a couple mds call me um, after the match to get a summary And I'm not sure if it's just because of our status or whatever that they feel comfortable calling. I'm sure they don't call everybody, but I think that that is a nice touch to show that you care about all different levels of shooters. I'm hoping that they're calling new shooters, mid pack shooters, top level shooters, and getting that summary. But some of them blast out like an email uh, survey type form. And I think that, you know, that could be a good way to get it in documented and have it like put into a histogram chart and say here's the here's the level of engagement that we had with the shooters and the um experiences that they had and what do we want to change for next time um those are those are all super valid valid and only one md um group ever
1: uh has sent out thank you cards yep that's what i was just gonna say there's (laughs) one md that stands out in my mind yeah Uh, they're a duo the duo the dynamic duo of awesomeness um uh, man, the, the wheelers set, to me, they set the new standard for what it was like to say, here's here's what we really want out of you. Uh, meaning, here's what we want to give to you in return for what you're giving us. Which, thank you for signing up. Thank you for registering. Thank you for shooting here. Here's a thank you card. And here is a Christmas card, right? I mean, And here's a is... bottle of wine if you're whiny. <laughs> if you're whiny. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I, I'm not saying that every match director has to go to that. But, you know, if... If you feel, and I'm, I'm, again, this, the reason we're talking match directors, is not because you're all listening. You are all match directors. If you have a match director that you're good friends with, or if you see one who's struggling or wants to get better or is looking for ways to augment and they want to grow their product. If you think of a match, like a product, think of it like a product and think of it like the business. How do you, how would you make a better product for a, a person? Just think about what you would like. You know, if, if you buy something somewhere, you want to get a smile, a handshake, a thank you for buying it with us. Can we help you answer any questions? How can we help you? A follow-up after the fact to make sure it's still doing what you expected it to, you know, within a day or two of getting it. And then maybe one 30 days later. That may be too much for some people to commit to. They say, ah, it's not worth my time or effort. That is what separates the good from the great. And I think the other reason I want to bring this up is um, the MDs,
0: like we say all the time, oh thank the ROs we can't do this without the ROs like we literally can't do this without the MDs and there's even fewer of them Mm -hmm. you know we need to figure out how to help them we need to figure out how to support them because literally this sport doesn't exist without somebody willing to put on a match and I, I think it's you know although there's money changing hands and you know some of them have they own prop own the property and stuff like that like it's not making them rich. Like they're doing it because they love doing this. They, yeah. They they love hanging out with us because we're like-minded individuals that uh, you know want to have this our Second Amendment right to have these really awesome blasters and and um,
1: have a reason to get them out every weekend. And I'm like, I'm stoked about it. I'm it's, gonna play devil's advocate on this. Well, not even devil's advocate. I'm gonna reinforce it through a different. Thought experiment: Imagine going to a match that has no MD. <laughs> just try it, and that's immediately. it that doesn't exactly. That's that's ten dudes in a field shooting at steel targets with you know six pack of beer. That may be fun, but now imagine just a little bit more organized than that. There is a course of fire, and you have squads, and it's self officiated, self scored. You just like golf, where you just go around and you score your own. Would you believe? the scores from everybody? Or would you think that the sport would be rife with, oh, so someone so cheated. Yeah, that wasn't really his score, blah, 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 blah. That's exactly what would happen. So in order to make it effective, you know, like in the golf analogy, four guys bombing around on foursomes, that's happened. If you've ever participated in a scramble uh, for any charity event, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The guys who win are 18 to 25 under, and you're like, there's no way they did that. That's bs they picked up and they must use more mulligans and or they didn't tell whatever insert all the reasons why they have the score that they have and you have what you have what if they did have that day
0: that awesome day it still would be um reduced because people would be second guessing
1: it so so i had that we got second so way way back when a buddy of mine we were oh gosh 20 i want to say we were 22 under or something like that for a 18 hole (laughs) scramble um we buried everything. We had three birdies. I think we had one par, like 17 or, or I don't remember. It was like 15 birdies, one par, two eagles, like something. And we had a like very, very, very solid score. But the winners came in three strokes better, negative Like <coughs> 25 under. That sounds like that's an absurd score. But when you have four good golfers and you're all on an easy course, it's not that unexpected, to be honest. Um, it would be cool to see a scramble out of like actual tour pros because that seriously would be wild to watch four actual tour pros playing a standard muni course at 6 six thousand yards they'd be chipping them <laughs> every be, other shot in the dude, hole dude they would probably shoot a combined better of the average would be like 1.5 to two strokes under par on every hole
0: it, it would,
1: would be insane they would do things they normally wouldn't do and at any rate that's what our sport could or would end up becoming if we didn't have mds to help create a place to say look we're going to validate this we're giving you support structures of ro's we're making sure you understand the course of fire everybody is being scored the same that's what competitive organizations ultimately foster they give they bring integrity uh, honesty and growth and avenues to bring better experiences in the future through organization i can't say it enough that if if without mds not only would our sport not exist the integrity of our sport would be questioned at every turn, and it would just be this awkward. It would life. be silly. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. <laughs> It'd be like telling fish stories. You should see the fish I caught the other day. Like it was thirty-eight inches. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, MDs in a nutshell. But uh, anything else on this topic that you had written down? Mm,
0: I had written down like some weird range type things, like obstructions, um, like things that. Let's just say lack of proofing the stages. I've been to matches before where they haven't proofed the stages. Yes. (laughs) And either you can't see the target from certain positions, which is intentional sometimes, but accidental in other times, or there's weeds or something in the way. Um, I think proofing the stages uh, is essential. Like if you don't have time to proof the stages, probably should have started uh, putting the match together a little bit sooner. Yeah. (laughs) It was pretty cool at the AG Cup. Um, Greg Bell came up and proofed all the stages with his 308, and he's like, "Dude, I'm hitting like too many targets. You need to make these targets smaller." So, so this is a perfect example of proofing stages. Like, um, we don't need the AG Cup cleaned again. I mean, it was cool. I'm glad I was there to explain it or experience it, but we don't need it cleaned again. So, yeah. uh, Greg came in there and, and made some of the targets smaller. And uh,
1: do that was awesome. The, the course of fire he cleaned was not easy. It was not like, oh yeah, this is going to be cleaned. Oh, you're talking about Ben? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Obviously. Oh god. No, 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 no. That's not. I know it wasn't I like a, it. it. It was an insane performance, and an incredible performance that will likely never be repeated. And there uh, are there
0: were no targets that, in there that were set up to make you fail, but no. there were a lot of targets that were small, like a lot all, of missable of targets. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like those stupid K and M logos off that car on the left side. <laughs> oh my god, those were small and. The hood, everything moved. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. I mean, that was yeah. It was awesome.
0: It was, a, was good a cool match. day. But again, <laughs> back to the point: proofing your stages is essential. So, uh, it can't be somebody in the match. I heard some weird, weird rumors about uh, some European matches where <laughs> they get proof <laughs> by competitors. Yeah. Uh, on the train up day. Um, yeah. Anyway. So, like, yeah. Don't don't question the integrity. I Don't have the question the question about integrity of the match by having somebody or having the md do it and then shoot the match or something like that uh, but it but it should be proved for time constraints and for positional um, obstructions and stuff like that and safety and all, all the other things mm-hmm. so i think uh forcing yourself to proof the stages with one or two people is is a great idea and most of the time the mds should be able to do it because they're not shooting their own match anyway so We've had that discussion before.
1: Yeah. The only (laughs) other, do you have any others? I have one area I wanted to cover. Um, And this is a little bit more conceptual and it's probably part of a broader context context discussion at some point, someone, maybe here, how you write the description of your stages and how you structure what to do, when to do it. And like how structured, literally how structured the stage is or is not. And the complexity by with an, by which an RO would have to describe it, that has to be thought of during the time you're writing the stage. You can't just think through a stage and go, "This would be a really cool stage. This would be really challenging." Well, if you can't describe it to someone in let's say 10 to 15 mm. seconds, it I'm might be too ta- might be too challenging for an RO to consistently describe early in the match to where the let's call it the first two or three squads get one version and the second like squads just get a different version It's ever so slightly different and it may not be enough to affect the outcome of a match but it has come up where how it gets shot from say the first two or three squads dictates incorrectly ends up changing how they have to shoot the rest of the match for that stage because of a miscommunication or a difficulty in how they write the stage yeah
0: i think i get your point here i think um It's the sport has evolved to have more and more technical type stages, whether it's mental or target order or whatever from the positions. And there is definitely a fine line between a stage that's difficult and a stage that is difficult to manage. And you don't want to put the ROs in the position of arguing with the shooters and/or having pitfalls in the stage that could have the shooters want to call the MD over it's yep. it's not worth it um, <laughs> just bringing this back full circle to where we started um, in the Michigan matches uh, Nate Whitehead God bless his cold black heart <laughs> um, he made some of the most difficult stages and that's yeah. honestly I said you that's know thanks we are Nate we are. because we are where we are by shooting yeah. those difficult stages and having be mentally challenged um, on every stage Uh but it, I think, even his matches have evolved because it becomes difficult, especially in a shooter RO type environment. You know where you have a squad mom, and this this squad's mom understands how they think the the MD wanted the stage to be run. And four or five stages later, the next squad is shooting it differently, and you look back and you're like, "Hey, I shot it differently than that squad did." So you don't want to have a, a scenario where the stages can be interpreted and. I think there was a point in this sport, maybe 10 years ago, eight years ago, where it was a thing to try to quote unquote game with the stage and try to read into where you can push the limits. And I'm glad that that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, I like that the stages, the intent of the stage is understood and it's discouraged for you to try to defeat that on a technicality because of how it's written or how it was yep. described. I, I really think that that I'm glad that that's not really a thing anymore.
1: Yeah, and I mean, along those lines, I think one of the a bigger challenge we are still facing that has to be described is the idea of position priority, target priority, or sequence priority. Um, in other words, what happens if you get what help? happens yeah. if? So, a good example of this, and as an MD, I quickly found that this was the hardest challenge to overcome in stage design because it's so it's kind of ethereal. So, imagine we have ten targets. And you have to shoot each once it's very self-explanatory you simply send one round at every single target but now there's the what-ifs how do you score blank and there's two approaches to this one the onus is fully on the shooter it doesn't matter if you don't do exactly what the MD wrote and I mean to the T you get lose points but how you lose points is where this kind of breaks down let's say you put in you double tap the first target accidentally Then you shoot target two, then three, then four, then five, then six, then seven, then eight. You shoot nine, and you don't have a round for 10. Is that scored as a nine or a one? Yeah, I don't think it's
0: defined very well. I think it's MD-specific. The first time that happens, it's going to get called over. The MD is going to Mm -hmm. talk to the RO, and then there's going to be a decision made. And that's unfortunate because
1: it's just that's what we're trying to avoid. We're trying to avoid the scenarios that have these friction points. Yep. And so here's the reason why I bring this up as a concept for an MD to think through. That stage where you double tap the first and you end through target 9, you're supposed to shoot 10. They're all individual targets, so it's just like a long troop line. You, from the shooter's vantage point, The skill it took to hit the first target existed the first shot, and then I accidentally engaged the second target or same target, and then I hit target two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. So it took me. I did the same amount of skill as a person. I hit nine out of ten targets the same way anyone else would. I just double tapped a target to start, and I lose the point on the back end because I didn't shoot target ten. I only had nine rounds, so or nine rounds on impacts, and I was out of ammo. So I got a nine. Or they catch the double tap, you hit the 10th target, and they go, hey, but you fired 11 rounds, cool, the last count doesn't count, and you double tap this one, so that doesn't count, you get a nine. That's one way to look at this. The other way is, no, I told you to shoot target one with your first round, second round is two, third round is three, so if you your second round was shot at one, should have been on two, therefore you are now on three, so you're off by one on every single target thereafter, you get, now shooter, you get a one. I have watched that exact scenario play out, and I don't know that that's actually a the right approach, personally. I think that the skill that it takes, again, we've looked at PRS as sort of a skill, impacts mained or impacts earned, right? Well, in the, in the case of this one, an RO was calling impact the whole time. Uh, so basically it was impact, 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 and there was nothing to indicate, and this is again back to the onuses on the shooter versus the onuses on communication, if the ro is communicating an impact and that's the arbitrating factor ro says impact and then after the fact can they take that away because it changes how you shoot the stage if they do or do not say impact it becomes a problem to define so the reason i'm bringing this up is as you're designing your courses of fire think through could this be scored or interpreted and honestly i gave all my 22s everybody before every match we would have a brief and the brief would say look the position is on if there was an ambiguous stage the position is in the target sequence if you do not follow this exact sequence to the t i would always default to as soon as you engage the next target your points resume from that point so you could fire nine rounds at the first target for all i care you're only going to get one more shot off on target two hit it and you got a two. First one eight rounds randomly another one on target two you're mm-hmm. good to go as soon as you pick up the gun and move to a new position you are assumed to have reset your structure so one,
0: one more point on yeah. this um, we're we've narrowed our focus from talking about shooters to talking about MDs for an episode here but I really want to bring this back to shooters. what can you do on the on the shooter side of things yep. um, so as a shooter I try to identify these instances before I start the stage and I say hey If I get out of sequence, can I ask you where I'm at? That Mm -hmm. question most of the time is uh, yes, you can. And if I ever think that I'm out of sequence, I'm going to ask, which target am I on? And then I can avoid those ambiguous eight through nine, or eight or nine shots that would have potentially been an argument after the fact. It only takes me a couple seconds on the clock to get back in order, and then there's no debating. Yep. Okay, so as soon as you don't hear an, a word impact and you expect one, you need to stop and say, "Say something."
1: Yeah, you either ask, <laughs> "Was that no impact?" Next target, and so effectively, the what has to be balanced by the MD and also understood by the shooters is what is to happen when the expected outcome is not the in, is not what happens. Yeah. If you expect to hear an impact and they're not calling it, you either. Does that mean I should be hit? To, I should move to the next target, or I should re-engage this thing? Does it mean I should always move targets no matter what? You just need to know what that is. You have to have a plan as an MD. You have to have a plan to describe that to all your ROS so that it. You think through the ramifications so that you don't end up in a situation where guys, if like if you tell someone, if you don't follow this to the T, you're losing all your points. Mm-hmm. Uh, that sets people up for massive failures, and. Right, but at least it was communicated. But it's up communicated, front. but yeah. it sets people up for failures if you don't communicate it up front, because there's a different Some people interpret to the T differently, and they're your buddy. So you're like, well, yeah, man. I, I look as an RO, I would not want to be the RO putting an RO in the position to go. Yeah, man, that target you shot it twice. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. No, I didn't. Now you're like the stress that you're putting in to the RO's position or to the spotters in this case like having shooters spotted we are the ones calling impacts 90 percent of the time now would you agree with that mm-hmm. ah 70 percent of the time the squad is calling impacts the ro is simply saying yes or no on an ipad so whether or not they moved or didn't move is on the ro because the shooters are just focused on the target mm-hmm. and we can't communicate target order or sequence we're just trying to make sure that we see we think we see a round hit when it hits so If I'm looking for a single target to impact or move and they shoot the wrong target and I don't see a round, I think it missed so I'm expecting them to advance to the next target. I think Mm -hmm. you see the point here. There's a disconnect between we aren't as linked as two pairs of ROs. So you have to think if the match is going to be RO option one, two, or three, design the best course of fire you can to allow for easy shooter spotter dialogue. Maybe slim it down to one or two targets that alternate so that it's every position. When you move, you're essentially getting a pair. You move. Mm -hmm. It's a pair. You move. And even if it's the same pair... Every time you move, you are now reset to that position. That's really easy for an RO to arbitrate because you just go, you got two from that position, two from that one, one there, one there, and one there.
0: Yeah. Um, But at the same, on the same or opposite side of the coin, like we don't want to have matches that are boring. So it's a fine line. It is a really fine line. Thinking that through as an MD, but then proactively looking for those potential failure modes in stages as a shooter before you start them and having either a plan or having a a quick question to the RO what if um, it it at least makes you think about the stage before you're on the clock and have to start having a discussion and I I know I said stop and ask the RO during the stage but I'm not telling you to have to have a debate with them (laughs) like you need a a three to five second question and answer and then you execute based on that answer and if if that's happening in, a, in matches in a lot of stages, like that's not cool. It's not a good, it's not a good design in my opinion. It's yeah. it's something we want to try to avoid or, you know, put spray paint where it needs to go so people have this like easy way to remember things. I don't know, I don't I don't want to have discussions on the clock, but I'm, the- I'm not afraid to because, if I like I said, if you hit a target and you don't hear the word impact, um, I'm either going to say was that an impact and they're going to yeah. say no or they're going to say yes and I just didn't hear it. Um, that makes me execute my backup plan like now,
1: immediately. Yeah. Uh, 100% agree. Some of the best matches I've shot are the ones where they just tell you, yeah, man, there's five targets. Shoot them. Do whatever you want. Yeah. Like that concept, it sounds so... Well, that's that can't be fun. Nah, it is when you have like, yeah, look at the terrain, and you have. To, then the challenge is, especially finding when they're natural the props, finding the targets and figuring out which positions give you the most stability. Yeah. Uh, the finale was like that. Hey man, there's nine rocks here. Go ahead and choose five of them. Have fun. Yeah, happened like five times. Yeah. Colorado.
0: Uh, um, Colorado was Colorado like that. Was yeah. like
1: that. Yeah. Do whatever you want. Here you go. There's all the rocks. Just don't use any
0: more <laughs> than once. Well, there was one stage that I got. Uh, yeah. Point deducted deducted because I didn't, didn't move. move. Yeah. So
1: anyway, I think this is a good discussion on MDs. Uh, And again, we're not as you, if you're an MD, Hey, we're not dogging you. We're hoping we can help you and give you some feedback. If you're a shooter, this is not us dogging MDs. This is us telling you how to help them, but also how you can help them in the sense that you can think in advance to go ask the right questions of yourself ask the right questions of the ROs, and gain some points in the process while being a part of the solution and not part of the complaining problem.
0: Heck yeah. I will say matches are better than they've ever been. Yeah. So I'm, I'm excited that we're driving to one right now.
1: Heck yeah. <laughs> I wonder what the food's going to be. I think this is that... Oh, they have really good burgers here. Yeah. Uh, okay. is that burger place. Well, ex- hey, happy episode 101. We thank you for the last 100 centennial episodes and listening, and uh, everything is up from here. Yep. Well, downhill... I don't know. Whatever the positive way to say everything is going up and it's downhill, whatever that version is. Hey, man. Did you say amen or hey, man?
0: I said hey, man. <laughs> <laughs> the match has already started. That's all I know.
1: Well, I own it every day.